0: Everyone, and welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live video series and joining me today to share the stories behind the 10 books that influenced her the most on her life path is Dr. Anita Sanchez. Dr. Sanchez is a powerful visionary business consultant of Mexican American and Aztec heritage who's woven her knowledge of indigenous wisdom business and science into her global consulting and training work with world and corporate leaders for more than 38 years she's a member of the transformational leadership council the pachamama alliance and bioneers and she is the best-selling author of the four sacred gifts indigenous wisdom for modern times in which she reveals the prophecy entrusted to her by a global collective of indigenous elders four guiding gifts that can help us remember the power of unity, guide us to transformation and wholeness, and enable us to live in deeper harmony with all of humanity. And honestly, what could be more current and relevant than what I've just read? Isn't that exactly what we need? So, Dr. Anita Sanchez, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, It's so good to have you here. And thank you for sharing your 10 best spiritual book list with us.
1: You're very welcome. It took me on a journey before we even had this conversation to sit quietly and remember what is still in my heart. Yeah. So the two questions we always ask our guests, uh,
0: and and many of them give the same answer. Uh, The first one is, what do books mean to you?
1: Oh, I will tell you, it's, it's meant opening up a world, especially as a small child, um, being grown up in economically poor situation, but also enduring different types of uh, sexual and physical abuse. And so the world of books that my mother, she was a just avid reader. she worked all the time, but every moment she wasn't, she was reading a book. And I love sitting next to her and just reading. So by age, I, I don't know, it was three or four, I think it was four when I got my first library card. And I don't, I don't remember missing every, every two weeks, even in a storm, unless the library closed, my mother would c- take all of us kids and we'd go down to the library and check them out. So it opened up the possibility that I am not just my immediate circumstances. There are such possibilities out there. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah,
0: I, I think I had my first library card that early as well. And for me, books were just, oh, they were just the most wonderful escape, but also the most wonderful opening, yeah. um, you know, to, as you say, to other possibilities, other worlds, other lives, other ways of living and being. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think they are so much more important than we realize, actually, because for some children, it's the only the only way that they will ever know that there is something else beyond what they're experiencing.
1: I agree with you in my personal circumstance, it was books first and foremost. And then secondarily was were the museums that were open for free. Yeah. Those are what I could go in then and visually see what I already was imagining when I read books and know that, oh my gosh, I could feel a call. It, it really books, the messages, hit something really, I call it sacred, but I also believe everything is sacred. We don't always operate in sacred ways, act that way. But the books, those messages really touched me, that part of me that knew that it was true, the possibilities, the messages, the truth of what was being sent. Mm -hmm. And
0: our second question is, how easy or how challenging was it for you to compile your 10 best list?
1: It was... Well, I, you know, I thought PhD was hard. Now it wasn't quite like that, but nonetheless it was like, are you kidding me? So I went through three rooms with just all these books and just sat there like, oh, oh. and then I went, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I went outside where the birds were chirping and stuff. And I just sat there and I go, what is coming through now? Not having seen anything, but what is coming through? And that's what actually then helped me to come up with those authors and those books. Mm. Well, your
0: your list was interesting to me because, you know, I, I get to see all of them and some of them are so similar. The same books keep coming up again and again, and they have every right to come up again and again because yes. they're classics. But um, it's nice when I suddenly see other titles and I go, "Ooh, haven't read that one. <laughs> I'm missing out here. Um, so let's start with your number one, which I've heard a lot about, but I've never for some reason, never read, The Color Purple by Alice Walker, which was published in 1982. When did you read that book? I read Tell that us. in
1: my 20s.
0: In the 20s. And
1: I was already well into a lot of my healing work. I had already um, left home and was already in my master's program. But I was really looking for, when I read that, it it was like a lightning that showed me all the hardship that happened in this amazing culture black folks lives and abuse and all these things but how how just kept moving the the will the spirit to just persist knowing there's something more and of course always drawing on community on various kinds of connections both internal to the sacred but also to all the other people who truly care and love you as well as nature so alice walker then i began to learn more about her and She's quite the writer and poet and activist that speaks out and shares her truth, um, at least appears very confidently. And yet, in her writing, she showed the reality of all of it you know, the doubt and the, the journey and the struggle and the helps. And so it was just very real to me. And to this day, I want to, Sandy, at some point, meet Alice Walker. It has not happened yet, but I just know that it will someday. Mm put that intention out there now
0: I know that you know you from an early age you really wanted to do meaningful work um and you you set your course accordingly did reading this book and this you know pretty harrowing story which as you said in some respects kind of echoed a little bit of your own story did that do do anything to change that trajectory or deepen your determination to move forward with that?
1: I think it deepened it. There was something, and even though it's very raw and and a a difficult kind of journey, it deepened that dream that I have had since I was three and four of what I was going to do when I grew up, uh, the picture of the earth and all these stick people. And when I draw it, that's what they were, stick, different colors and sizes. And what was really amazing, I still have that dream, is that we have our hands on each other's hearts. And there's, you know, I know there's millions of us and uh, so I didn't have any language back then. But by 20, I already began, and in my teens, starting to know it is truly, in a literal sense, connecting hearts all over the world. I just didn't know what that meant in terms of organization development, diversity, inclusion, all those other kinds of language. But at the at the core, at the foundation of that, this book, along with many of the, the others that I are part of what just affirmed me moving forward, trusting in who i am and not allowing not dismissing the circumstances externally never doing that however not allowing them to deny the truth of who i really am so i yes i believe that that's true she's she Mm -hmm. means a lot to me and her sharing in such a deep way Mm -hmm.
0: so book number two this is one that turns up a lot You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay, yet again. I think it's been on probably most most lists.
1: Oh, yes. Well, she reminds me, okay, now she's quite learned. And of course, hundreds, I mean, millions and millions and millions of people know about her. I probably could say hundreds of millions. But she reminds me of my grandmother. And so my grandmother passed away when I was young. And I was already in my teens, but it felt so way too young. And but she um, would show us when we had a headache, a certain plant we'd have, um, cinnamon, canela, just all these different coming out of her garden and what she dried, so that we would have anything that came up. It wasn't like well, let's go to the drugstore to get pharmacy. And I'm not poo-pooing that. I'm just saying that. We are provided through Mother Earth so much of what we need, including just more water. I remember saying that my grandmother would just come over and put a glass of water in my hand and go sit, and you wait till you drink all the water, and do you feel better? I'm like, yeah, she was teaching us about just being dehydrated, right? Mm -hmm. So, So when I saw Louise's book, came upon it as so big for everyone, right? I began using, I still have that on my shelf. Actually, I put it over here because I wanted to be inspired as I was talking to you, filling these books nearby, um, to be able to look and hear and see what you say, what part of the body that was connected to. And of course, in a much more, more detailed way, but at the same level, it makes me feel, I feel connected to my grandmother at the same time when wow. I pick up Louise's book. That's nice. I
0: mean, everybody talks about um, how she's opened their eyes, you know, to the, to natural healing and our ability to heal and the connection between our symptoms and emotions and state of mind. But this is the first time someone's talked about having such a personal connection. I I think that's,
1: that's the indigenous wisdom, that aspect, because, um, you know, indigenous people who have stayed connected to the earth, then that's part of the original knowledge and information that gets passed on and so i'm so so happy for louise to to be able to touch so many lives and so happy for my grandmother who um who continues to to uh, inspire and teach me about my own healing as i deal with um my own journey Mm -hmm.
0: so book number three in the spirit of crazy horse the story of leonard peltier and the fbi's war on the american indian movement published in 1992.
1: Very powerful. Especially at that time. um, At that point, I had already more than 15 years had been out working, doing diversity inclusion work. And finding I was in that place where people, most people at some point get where feeling like, no, this is feeling hopeless. I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. I don't want to get into the beliefs of people and invite them to explore. I just, it's too hard. And then this book came out and um, just hearing how all these different viewpoints about what actually taking place, but what it really took me into deeper as I've been so busy with other things is back into my own heritage, my own indigenous background. And, and the Latina, the Mexican American part of me too that that weaves in that as well to To understand that I can, we each can at any moment call on our ancestors, our ancestors' strength, um, their knowledge and awareness that I do believe is is inside of us to help us. Because we might, it may appear like this is the toughest time ever, ever and right now it does feel like the toughest time ever in the history of this planet. However, I still have. The genes, the spirit, the knowledge encoded in me that I can draw on. And that book, uh, of course, Crazy Horse is one of the major leaders with indigenous people who, you know, had vision. and, um, And so I remember, along with another author that I gave you, to remember that even when you're dealing with the difficulties and challenges, do that. It is not to transcend it i do not believe that that is what we're meant to do being here on this earth however we're also supposed to be able to draw on all of who we are which is also the spiritual knowing and that then gives us rise to the possibility of bringing back wholeness and unity so the spirit of crazy horse you know his life was amazing for the people uh community unity tried working with the settlers in, in peaceful ways. And of course, eventually lost his own life. But he inspired so many by no matter what was happening, no matter what was occurring, the many kinds of atrocities and um, that occurred in terms of the genocide of our people, There was that vision, that spirit self gave to him that kept the people going. And I hope a little bit, I'm clearly not, a, crazy horse, what an amazing person, but I'm hoping a little bit of that spirit is uh, coming through me uh, from all my ancestors.
0: And into the work that you do, because I mean, yes. y- you know, you to read your bio, that doesn't really tell us, you know, we get the big picture and the words and they sound grand, but that doesn't tell us what you're doing on the ground. And I remember you've told me stories and in interviews about, you know, being on the ground and having you know opposing groups in a workforce together that really aren't getting on with one another and the the cultural differences are not being understood and how you actually bring them to a place of understanding of one. another.
1: Thank you for saying that because I do believe that's the wisdom of the elders coming through to me so in that what you just suggested what I did which is different than some people is oftentimes in my in my trainings I will Um, very safely, because we want to make sure safety, have candles lit inside of uh, plates with water. So we make sure that everything's safe. And people often at first are like, why do we have candles? We've got the lights. What are we doing? And I I will say, it's because to do this work of us really caring for each other across, not just our similarities, but across these differences of race, gender, orientation, all these different ways, was going to require our higher selves to be present. So the candlelit is just a reminder to bring our higher selves to this work. Not only our, our feet are present, but all of it to do the work. And pretty much Sandy, everyone, although at first there'll be some puzzled looks and all of a sudden they'll settle into that. And it actually moves them. I've had leaders say, you know, I sat there and I wasn't going to say this, but then I looked over at that candle and it, again, they could feel the incongruency to who they really are and wanted to be in contribution. And it allowed that to come through. So we have so much support around us uh, in ways that our mind, our brain can get signal from images and things like light, like a lit candle or a glass of water.
0: And you're going into um, corporations like Google. Um, you know these are not small places and you know you've got a different kind of mindset and culture especially in a lot of the uh, technology world today
1: yes um, well, those
0: kinds of companies yes yes, is not
1: necessarily a, you know in abundance <laughs> it's it's not but some of them are really trying to shift Hewlett Packard I think we're seeing and this is not an advertisement but just seeing in the response to what's happening now coming out very clearly uh, position of caring for their people and having meetings every day with their people, these lunch and things, what do you need? And just that rather than what is happening with our bottom line, you see, and that, not that that doesn't matter because you have to care about the bottom line to make sure these people have, you know, can feed their families. But there again, it's that, that spirit comes through. And in Singularity University, the Google uh, where I, I've spoken and stuff is, um, a bit puzzled at first, like, are you a ringer or something? Are you coming in here with spirit or telling us stuff that's not technology? And, and, but at very quickly afterwards, they start realizing, oh, you're, you're asking us to go inside and then connect with that knowledge of our wisdom of honoring him with dignity, who we each are. And actually the feedback on that was really delightful. It stays in my mind because at first there was a little pushback and then it became, wow, we're even more effective teams than ever. We never thought that, we thought we were doing quite well, but then once we went into this other level of our connection, of our humanity, and then that that awoke all the possibilities of us hearing each other to create and co-create what is needed in service to people. Mm, Wonderful. So, Number four is The
0: Sacred Pipe, which was published in 1987, and that's Black Elk's account of the seven rites of the Oglala Sioux, recorded and edited by Joseph Brown. Black Elk, a most honored indigenous elder, shares his original knowledge that comes from a deep connection to the earth spirit and the culture.
1: Yes, um, Black Elk is, if not the... One of the most honored of the elders, and because of the prophecy that I'm carrying the Eagle hoop prophecy, and many prophecies around the world, different traditions talk about the hoop and the oneness. And even though there was great hardship, of course, for the people, he's Agalo Sioux and still remains, some clearly challenges that all of our tribes are dealing with. Um, he just held on to that vision. Uh, and in in the midst of some really horrific, um, just horrific kinds of massacres, and and so I, again, I think what he does for me is help me to remember that we're more than what we're just seeing right here, um, and there's things that we can tap into in ourselves and between each other, but also part of that is also that vision to help compel us because if we stay stuck in the pain that's what i got in part from him if we stay stuck in the pain it's very easy as human beings for us to spiral downward and and very rationally so in terms of how horrific some of the things happening, what we're even seeing right now at the same time it doesn't service it actually blinds us it's an illusion of separateness to the wholeness that and what the reality of we can be together and so it's about healing 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 and then moving forward um, and and having lots of support to do that. So black elk has even affected, I think, for most of North America, how we even describe the hoop of life. So we have four directions. And if you go south or in some other parts of the world, they'll say, um, in the east is the yellow direction. The people, the yellow, Asian, keepers of the air. And in the south, They'll say is the red direction. However, it was from Black Elk, who, from his visions and from his experiences, and being just such an amazing visionary leader, that he we honor him because he talked about the east, where the sun rises, as being the red direction. The people are the keepers of the earth, and that the yellow direction, which is just none one is more honorific than the other, is just he changed the position, and in the south, is the yellow direction. And these are the people who are the keepers of the air, oxygen that all life needs. And then of course we continue around with the West, the black direction, uh, the keepers of the water. And we know water is sacred, water is life. And the great diaspora of the black people on many, much of which was horrific under slavery, all over the world, nonetheless, the keepers of the water. And then the North, the white direction, the white people, they're the keepers of the fire and we know fire can transform things. It's again, energy that's so important to make a land fertile, to create new ideas and technologies and things. So all of this hoop of life as blackout to everyone. And that's part of what I really love about the indigenous um, wisdom keepers is because it's some of the few cultural people outside of spiritual leaders, because they're also spiritual leaders, that see as, as one, human race, one humanity, one hoop of life. So honor the differences, but also acknowledge that we are so intimately connected that we know now that something happening halfway around the world (coughs) is affecting us, right? And um, so we need to be mindful about what it is we think and what it is we do, our actions, because it all has an impact. So the
0: sacred pipe, I mean, he was the keeper of the sacred pipe. Is the sacred
1: pipe a metaphor? I mean, what is the significance of it? Yeah. The sacred pipe for some it is a metaphor and a very powerful one, but for indigenous people, it's far more than that. For us to have a pipe means you go through a whole process of visions to be a keeper of a pipe. But even if you're never a keeper of pipe, I remember a young uh, being taught uh, you know, the, the pipe being stone. And again, everything is a relation so I had the stone people, the stone nation, and and that's a female, the stone, and then the wood, the plant people, and that's the 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 pipe stem, and you put those together, and then that's the female and the male. So everything just keeps showing more and more connection, connection, and then the tobacco that goes into the pipe, again the plant, and then when you light this with the wholeness of all of this, the smoke that goes is the remembering of that we're all part of spirit and the connection and various tribes go into far more detail about all this, but it, it is a part of uh, a, a knowing of remembering of who we are and our connection to all our relations, both the two leggeds as well as all the elements in nature um, and earth, all beings. Mm. Book number five, you have a
0: personal story to share here. Um, so I will invite you to share it. The Book of Joy, Lasting Happiness in a Changing World, The Dalai Lama with Desmond Tutu, which was published in 2016. Um, what was it about that book that really touched you so much?
1: Well, sometimes people will say when they hear some of my story in that, they'll just be like shaking their head like, we can't believe that you're so upbeat and so... You know like did you drink something and i'm like yeah water um it's really good but it's um the joy it's the understanding that that i experienced in my life that joy is always here that actually is a part of who we're supposed to be and that the suffering also exists so it's, it will always have some suffering part of what we want because it tells us when something's not working it tells us when we 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 have as louise uh hayes says there's a problem in our body we need to take care of, or a problem in the larger society or around the world, right? The earth telling us, you know, in this pause, seeing clean air and places that have been so polluted as amazing. But in my own life, just this whole thing of being joyful, there was a time when I wasn't, there was a time when I forgot. Um, At age 13, I, I, having my father just being murdered, race-related race related issue, that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and mistaken for a black man, and a white man returned and, and killed him on the spot. And then also the abuse that I had endured, and then believing that now the, pe- the person was gone, I didn't have to deal with this anymore. But the images in my mind continued. So I forgot the joy, and I tried to take my life as a teenager, which is happening way too often. It's, it's rise. So more and more important for me to speak out. And what I do know is there's nothing glamorous about that process. It was horrific. It was, I still remember giving up hope and losing hope in such a way that in spite of all these amazing people around me and the breath and the ability to learn and all the things, I'd forgotten all that. So I tried. And luckily it didn't work. I uh, got a very clear message um i needed to be here so with all the physical writhing and all the stuff that happened i was just pleading please let me stay and in that moment um i realized that i will not forget again i'm human so i could have drop into some forgettingfulness but never to that level because it's always about joy and so dancing and i dance i love to dance I love to chant. And I, this book in uh, the Dalai Lama, I just love it and, and his humanness. So, even in his joy, I remember one of the things the Dalai Lama said was, you know, he even still has work to do because, you know, he's so filled with joy and compassion, but he hasn't had that much compassion yet for bedbugs. And I thought, <laughs> well, if he can say that, then I, I can keep going. I, I'm inspired. <laughs> Tell us your
0: personal story about Desmond Tutu.
1: Oh, Desmond Tutu, that was such a beautiful thing in the, in the mid-90s where uh, at that point I've already been doing uh, lots of diversity and coll- inclusion work, bringing together, I remember exactly when he came in. It was, we were doing work with AT&T, executives of DuPont, and Digital Equipment Corps, and we would bring them together and for five full days, which is unheard of now. Back then, they would be residential, five full days, and uh, we're in the heat of this race work, and you know people are confused, and some don't wanna hear, and there's anger, there's all of it. It's all present, it's real. And then, unbeknownst to us, my colleague had run into Desmond Tutu earlier that morning. He was staying in the same hotel, and he agreed to stop in. So before he even got the door, I, I swear, in great love, people's faces started turning towards the door this tiny man with huge spirit and energy walks in and everyone stood up and it was Desmond Tutu and he talk, spoke to us for about seven minutes and everybody was amazed and he we went out with him a couple of us uh, who were doing this training and he said to us and I'll never forget it he said this is really good you've been doing reconciliation work you've been doing this work for a long time and with a twinkle in his eye right before he walked away he said so what's next and he walked away and with that you know there was a this pause and i remember taking a deep breath and i just smiled i go it might not be the answer but my answer to that in that moment and still is is we get to love each other we get to co-create together we get to be in unity and family together oh it's so much can happen in healing the wounds and really looking at them and reconciling and changing systems and structures that are set in this, in this woundedness in this oppressive stuff and freeing all of us, both the oppressed and the oppressor so that we can co-create together and dream together. And so that's, um, that's a big part of what gives me joy is that I actually get to be a part of uh, facilitating that process or putting the mirror on that process so that people don't forget that, Joy is, is the place we're to be, whether we're talking about at home or in the workplace or out in the community. Joy is ours.
0: Yeah, and there's a huge dearth of joy in the
1: world at the moment. So we need to find it again. We do. We need to remember. Mm. And, um, and we're seeing some... It's, it's hard to see when in the midst of all the, the incredible pain and hurt or the dismissal, sometimes it's even the silence... Uh, particularly as a person of color, I think the silence sometimes, um, which I love silence because silence is full, but when you want people to speak out, but we're seeing so much um, of people really responding to each other. I know many people, it's not about joining in the protests, that may not be for them, but I even had neighbors who were getting food. I'm like, that's a lot of food. What are you go? I'm going to go leave the food for the protesters, for the peaceful protesters, because it's important. Or... What we just recently saw, I hope you saw this, um, to be hopeful about, uh, it came out a couple of weeks ago, 200 years ago, during the Irish famine, the great suffering, the starvation that was happening, the Navajo, and um, I can't remember the other tribe was, There were two tribes that together um, raised $170 and they sent it to Ireland to help the people. And a couple of weeks ago, And from Ireland came a check for $1.8 million. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I know I'll think about it sometime the other tribe because it's so important. Um, But because the tribes, the Diné people and other tribes, you know, um, the disparities are so real, the culturally rich. So I don't want to talk about poverty in that way, but in terms of lack of health, lack of fresh water, food deserts. So here the Irish sent uh, $1.8 million later, which tells me, which tells me hope is a life, because to have love endure like that for 200 years, we're here, right? So it's going to keep on. You know, that reminds
0: me of a story, another story similar. I mean, it's, this particular one is very, very poignant, but I think you know, one group of people, disparate, you know, nothing in common, helping another group of people is is really what it's all about. But there's a movie, it came out about four or five years ago. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Oh, it's called Pride. It is available on Netflix and it's a true story. And um, it's got an actor called Bill Nighy, who I happen to really love. It's a quintessential English movie English humor and English story but back in the 80s I think it was Margaret Thatcher was hell-bent on breaking up the unions Mm. and she started with the coal miners and you know you've got a lot of coal mines in Wales or you had and she was really doing everything had the police out on the streets a kind of you know microcosmic version of what's been happening recently. Um, And the miners were being starved. They wanted to starve them so that they would uh, go back to work and just, you know, leave the union. And they wouldn't, they had this strong belief in the union and, you know, looking after the collective. And there were a group of gay guys in South London. You couldn't get, more further apart than the Welsh miners and these gay guys in South London, who decided that they were gonna raise money and send it to them, and they did. And they actually went to visit them, and these miners, you know, these big, strong, masculine guys, you know, were a bit perplexed to see all of these gay guys in their joy and their brightness and, you know, their great (laughs) senses of humour turning up among them but they actually ended up developing a great friendship. And some years later, some years later, I think it might have been one of the first pride marches in England. These gay guys and the gay community were doing something in Hyde Park and there was a lot of, um, the press were against it and a lot of bad publicity. And all of a sudden, up come all of these buses, filled with these minors who'd come to support them oh. and given them the heart to, to keep going. And it's this kind of coming together, you know, where black and white, um, you know, red and yellow, it doesn't matter. The differences
1: really don't matter, do they? Yeah. Well, we know that it's only, what, it's a half of a percent of, of our DNA that's different. And So I don't want to deny the difference. I think they're beautiful. I don't think we we say grandmother, grandfather, make no mistake. You know, the different places in the earth where we grew, where we were born, it made a difference in terms of the color of our skin and rightly so for us to be able to survive and be in Mm. healthy relationship. But all the, all the judgment about what's good, bad, higher, less, all of that, my hope is that we're, by putting the spotlight on it again, we'll be able to shift some of those beliefs again and the systems and structures in place. But thank you for that story. Uh, it's so beautiful. I'll have to watch that movie. And I, I, as you were saying that all of a sudden, I remembered the Choctaw. So I believe the Choctaw and the Navajo, the Diné people, and the Irish people are forever have, have this love thing going. Yes. And we actually all do. If we give it a chance to just be still enough and, and open our hearts, um, then it's going to be there. It's going to yeah. be there.
0: Yeah, we need to reach out to one another more. I don't know if this happens in other countries. I wasn't aware of it when I lived in America, but England, it's been going for years, where towns twin with another town. And often it's France or Germany or Italy or Europe, somewhere not too far away. But I was driving through the villages one day, where I live now, and I saw that one of the towns was twinned with a town in Tibet. And I thought, oh, how wonderful, because then they have cultural exchange. They have, you know, the kids come back and forth and they get to experience, um, you know, a completely different culture. Um, So I think we should do
1: more of that.
0: You know, let's understand
1: one another it'll enrich our lives that's just it when we think you're doing it for someone else they are actually that's great because giving does We you know just even biologically endorphins start running when you give and that and you build understanding but it and it does so much for you as well as for them so it's i think that's our natural place none of us do it's it's an illusion to think we do anything alone i'm not even breathing alone people well i'm, I'm here i'm breathing yeah but I'm looking out the window here, and all these trees that convert the carbon that I put out into oxygen for me to be thank you trees, thank you plants for that, and my mother and my father who who had me and all you know it's just on and on and on the food I eat, the water I drink, nothing is alone, and then you add in all the two leggeds all of our relatives um, you know there's so much to be grateful for, and we need that energy in correcting systems and structures that don't uh, honor that, don't treat all with dignity. But it's coming from that place of what we want in the vision rather than out of anger and revenge and more hurt and and that. So it's totally understandable. However, for us to really get to what we want, a thriving, just world for all of us, for all beings, not just two-legged, so the Earth itself, it's going to require that. We have that capacity. We've seen we a did. lot of them. Thanks for that story too. I'm definitely going to look at pride. Yeah. It's a fun film. Um, book number six, The Alchemist, Paolo Coelho <laughs>
0: 1995, a Toltec wisdom book. That's, uh
1: doesn't come up as much as I thought it would actually, but it is a classic. It is. And, and I think part of it came up in my life. And then again, at that point, the eagle hoop had come, just come in that spring into my life. And it gave me a recharge, a hope that, wait a minute, I don't have to leave doing what I'm doing. Um, being reminded that I may see and sense and feel things that others may not see as readily, but that doesn't make them wrong. Again, that's part of following your spirit, your purpose, you know, and going forward. And I think that reading his work and stuff is understanding how, things that, seem, that are so, seem so separate and so different, that when you put them together, that something new gets created. And so, I, with his book was interesting, what came to me at that time, and, and comes up again, is that the whole notion of forgiveness, forgiving the unforgivable. And, um, and not, you've already heard enough in terms of what I needed to forgive, But as going through that journey and coming to like a deep, deep, deep forgiveness um, of of the pain from abuse and and the murder of my father, forgiving the white man and his wife, who said such horrific things afterwards about Black people, um, by the forgiving actually created more my humanity. And that alchemy created a whole process of another level it was like a lightning bolt jolt of uh post-traumatic growth which just got got coined sometime later in the 80s but it was his book that then spurred on me looking at post-traumatic growth so we already had the beginnings of positive psychology and positive about health like why do we keep studying just sickness yes we got to study but let's also study health let's study what positive well-being looks like. And um, that, his whole being and messages just spurred on that post-traumatic growth. So never saying, oh, you want people to go through just horrific experiences so they can have post-traumatic growth. But what it did help spotlight is that why is it that people can go through such horrible, difficult, challenging, physically, mental, spiritual kinds of pain and huge, whole groups of people, and still come out with this energy to transform, to to make whole, to not only for themselves, but for other groups of people. And we've had that throughout history, and we're having it again. It's, it's, it is here again. So thank you again for having me look at what is coming through, because um, Paulo Coelho's work and The Alchemist really, to me, bring so so what is happening and to pay attention and what is n- needed at this time mm-hmm.
0: number seven Thich Nhat Hanh, the mindfulness essential series which is a series of books on how to sit how to eat how to walk how to love how to relax
1: what was it about this particular series that um impacted you because it felt you know an indigenous perspective is that we each get to choose every moment and every breath even when we're sleeping to be good medicine or bad medicine. And good medicine is anyone or anything that puts into alignment the spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. And bad medicine is anything that takes out of alignment the spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. And so um, Thich Nhat Han's work, uh, he what I loved about it, it was so holistic it was so about everything being connected and moving and he remains with me because I've not met him either he's another one I would love to meet him uh, in this plane if not the other Um, but he every morning uh, and every evening now I do my practice three times a day because it it seems essential for me to stay present. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh I do a walking meditation every morning as part of my practice and um, in that meditation, I not only sing my chant from the wind and with some of the blessings from the Seneca people, but I also, uh, one of the walking meditations of Thich Han, Hanh, where um, he talks about being, giving gratitude and thanks for, you know, you've given me water to, for my seeds, gratitude for the seeds that you've uh, watered. And in return, I'm going to put water on the seeds of others. And I'm getting the words a little off because I'm used to walking in and singing it. So I'm not used to speaking it. But um, so Thich Nhat Hanh and his being mindful to what what is and to pause. And I love that about the elders because we would sit as a little girl. I remember as early as three, just sitting for the longest time. But it wasn't like punish an eagle just flew by the window. <laughs> uh, I just, I remember sitting for the longest time and it wasn't punishment. So if you have to go bathroom, you could get up and leave. It wasn't like, but you didn't want to leave because the elders would share stories about the people and about us. And they were beautiful and heroic and how they saw the rainbow and and even struggles, but how, how we're here. And that even in those kinds of circumstances where people, settlers came and, you know, tried to in different parts of the world to you know genocide to annihilate us and we're here they forgot we're seeds it makes me so smiling so when i hear whatever direction the is like yeah but just remember your seeds you know we're all seeds we're all you know we're going to keep going so just remember that in the midst of this other i realize but to just keep remembering so he the pause to be silent to listen with the softest part of your ear and with the expanding heart, it, it's not a challenge to to listen. It's actually becomes, what I will say, Sandy, is I've learned to crave uh, the silence and listening. But it's something. People think it's nothing. It is something. To be totally present, uh, it's a wonderful thing. And Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, he's he's the guy he he's the man and his book that just brings that and is with me every day in my practice. Mm, good, I'm going to have to look at that. So number eight,
0: this one comes up a lot, as much as Louise Hay, the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Is... Yes.
1: Yes. And for a really short time, he and I were members of the Transformational Leadership Council. One meeting, when I came in, he was there, and I was just so awed by him and his brilliance. And, of course, he's a fluent Spanish speaker, a little bit of English. But his English has gotten better and better since then. Um, but my Spanish is not that good. And so I just remember smiling and sitting by him and just loving his work. And But he also... Uh, And even with my publisher, they remind me that, so his four agreements are so powerful. The essential truth that are just understood all over the world, of course, who read his book. Um, But it took seven to eight years, a slow trajectory for that book to be really held by so many people. Very, very low kind of slow growth. And then it just went. And I know when that, I did my talk, and then I was asked, approached by a publisher of Simon & Schuster that they wanted my book. I kind of was like, I just gave a talk on this eagle hoop prophecy and the four gifts, and they said, no, we want your book. And I remember then my publisher told me, don't be discouraged if people don't learn about these messages right away. We really believe yours will be like Don Miguel Ruiz's a very slow, long trajectory, and then we'll go up because people will realize they need these messages. And that's the heart with which you wrote it, was was to share these gifts that people already have, and they just need to remember to use them. So his four agreements, I just love him. I have his book over here. I just, you know, and I know everybody knows it, but just, you know, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. I mean, that's just it. Wisdom, more often than not, is simple, but so true and not necessarily easy to live by, but so simple. So just, you know, keep going. And I so appreciate him and his work. And in some ways, too, him being a, a man of color and from Mexico, as my ancestors are, as I am. Um, I think it does give me just physically to be able to see someone who looks like you Um it also can inspire you in another way too that perhaps others who also lift you up and inspire you but there's a little bit of difference that it's not a total but in the spirit place it's like that with so many all these books that I suggested
0: well I love the fact that this one comes up so often because each time it comes up it's a wonderful reminder to me Yeah. And I, they're coming up so often lately, I clearly need to hear them. Um, and, and it always makes me think about, you know, some kind of fairy tale where, you know, the, the young young girl or the young boy has got their thing over their shoulder and they're off going off into the world and the wisdom, you know, I mean, if you gave them these four sentences, you know, to live their life by, that's all they would need. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that simplicity. So number nine is The Shaman Within, a physicist's guide to the deeper dimensions of your life, the universe, and everything by, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, Claude, but I know he's a friend of yours.
1: It's Poncele. Poncele. Yeah, he's Belgium. Yes. Uh, A dear friend. Oh, my gosh. He passed away a couple of years ago now. Uh, But we, during his lifetime, the the latter part, I began getting involved in the Pachamama Alliance in 2005. And their whole mission is to, um, you know, to support the preservation of the Amazon rainforest and the cultures, the people who are there, for it's the lungs of our earth. And we all know a lot more about that now with the fires that have burned. And Claude was a guide, he and his wife, um, for Pachamama Alliance, taking people to Amazon. And so am I and my husband, uh, Guides. And he he taught us at first, um, when we first started out, like how he was there. And he actually, uh, always honoring the indigenous people there. So not taken away, we have so much to learn from the Ashwar and the Sopra and the other indigenous people who really understand dream time and waking time. And it's so big and full of being in, right relationship with the earth you know they don't live on the earth they're part of the rainforest when they talk about it when they how they behave so he and I had the greatest time when he was writing this book he gave me the honor of sending me different pieces of it at a time and to give him feedback and we'd have the best time because I would go well, this is what I learned on this. So this is a little bit different on this. Wow, that's really cool. This is what you learn from, you know, the North, from the European, the indigenous people. And then of course, New York expanded, this is what I learned. And, and so we just had the best time. And I loved, he actually, already at, by that time, I was uh, weaving indigenous wisdom and science together and working with companies, corporations and leaders. But he opened it up to a whole another level of confidence for me. Uh, Because here is this amazing uh, nuclear physicist who also does shamanic practice and honored the shaman, the spirit within everyone, and and spoke of that in companies, in the UN, and all, all over. And so I was like, well, he's asking me for my opinion, then who am I to deny sharing, inviting the gift, not, you know, imposing it on somebody, but inviting that. And so he has a special place in my heart. And uh, he and his wife, Noelle, and I are still very good friends in his family. And yes, he's, it's, a, it's a really good book. It's a very good book. Very practical tools for understanding that part of ourselves that's not known by the five senses, but is, is further in, making that more real and concrete for us. So number 10, this,
0: this is the first time this book's come up. And when I tell you who it's written by, people might be surprised. What I Know For Sure by Oprah Winfrey, that came out in 2014. What is it that Oprah had to say that touched you?
1: It's what Oprah's had to say for decades. <laughs> so I'm one of those many people who, when the recorder, you know, to just put on the recorder, time it, and because I'd be working so that on the weekends I could listen to them. Uh, And sometimes my husband and my sons would listen. A lot of times they go, oh gosh, she's on again. And I'm like, no, what she inspires for me, first of all, she reawakens. Part of why I do my work is I I really choose to be with people of all different races and cultures. However, my early years from age five to 16, when I went away for college, uh, we were one of the only, non-black families in my neighborhood we were the first non-white family in my neighborhood when we moved there when i was i think i just was about to turn six and then immediately people scattered the white people left we we had ruined the neighborhood and then who would move in were be black were black people in east kansas city and so i grew up running into every each other's houses um black families houses and you know they were they were my family you know they'd get after us if we didn't do we did something that was silly and wrong and not thoughtful and kind um they would share with us you know mr smith would walk us down to the dairy queen when my mother couldn't take us down there and we just really needed to spend that nickel that we had to get an ice cream so um i got to very early learn to appreciate people from the Black direction, African-American people. And it was also during the, you know, in the 60s, a lot of the race and all of the stuff happening. And so those things that were happening when the police would come in and be shooting and Black Panthers there, and we were in the heart uh, in Kansas City of the Black neighborhood. And um, I just love, love these people and, as I love everyone in the hoopla life, but I got to learn that in an early age. So when Oprah is there in all her uh, curiosity, her smarts, but also just just hungry to spotlight uh, wisdom keepers, healers, um, thought leaders, you know, and, um, and only over the years have grown more and more full and confident and who can see i i can sense i can feel the integration of that and i don't know oprah maybe she's another one one day <laughs> you're hearing a few of the people that i want to meet them one day um uh actually i met her partner a few months ago stedman he was speaking at a, a thing so I, I got, he, what a wonderful man and obviously would have to be and I, happiness to both of them um but she I still turn her on and listen to her. In fact, last night I was about to go to sleep. I was so tired and I happened to turn on the TV. Actually, I was about to turn on and switch channels. And there she was with a panel of people talking about what's going on. So what I love about her is her honesty and her knowing that it's spirit, that we're in these bodies, we chose to be here. We have to be present to the here and now and be contributing force. And we're more than just what you see. And so she inspires me and in that work. And uh, so as a woman of color, uh, to all the Oprahs, that have known and some will never be known, I just so uh, love them and appreciate um, them not only doing their own personal journey work, but like her, bringing forward for others to see. So Sandra, you're doing it from the white direction. You're bringing forward some spiritual leaders who are very well known and others who are not but you are like with no bs let's get forward let's move forward because this is what is being called for at this time from inside deep of each one of us as well as from the earth itself and clearly we're seeing it on the systems and structures whether we're talking political or economic agriculture whatever it is socially it's so needed so i just honor oprah and Um, some days, especially lately, I'm getting so much calls, so much pain. And so I'm always show up as such a big yes. And I feel like Oprah's like that. It's like, um, if my burden is to share these wonderful gifts, oh my gosh, who am I to complain, right? Uh, To share the possibility of the life that I started with, which was powerfully beautiful with all the indigenous and the Latino, the Mexican-American richness, but right beside it, the other. So it's just ending this duality of like, it's either this or that. Rather, we need to walk and hold and see all of it and move forward toward the vision that we know that we all are worthy of. And Oprah is sort of, a, she's of an icon of that for me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I, I don't often...
0: I'm sharing a lot, I'm speaking a lot more today than I normally speak, sharing a lot of stories. But um, I have a story about Oprah that, you know, I used to watch her years and years ago. I mean, I'm going back 25 years or more, um, 30 years. And um, I remember watching a TV programme that she did, uh, which just, you know, my chin was on the floor. Uh, it made such a big impact on me. She did one of her usual programmes back in the day when she had, you know, her normal show. And she had her audience segregated. And she had all of the white people herded into one room, the green room, before they went on, you know, live, and all the black people in another. And she had all the white people herded into a room with hardly, you know, had to stand they didn't have any food there were no niceties they were treated roughly by everybody and they all got really annoyed and she did just the opposite with the black people and when she actually started the show she told the audience what she'd done and she said to the you know the white people how did you feel and they said oh it was awful we were treated so badly and and she said to the black people and how did you feel and they said, wow, we were treated with such kindness and generosity and respect. And, and she was trying to show each of them how the other normally experiences life, how they are normally treated and perceived. Mm-hmm. And I remember, and you know, the white people were very annoyed, of course. Um, and suddenly they got it and they began to understand because we do not know what it is like to be treated like others are treated. And I just thought, what a brave thing for her to do. And I wondered whether it might get her into trouble, you know, with her network or her producers because she really did make the white people really angry. Um, but it, but I thought that was a fabulous thing to do. Very. So I've liked Oprah ever since.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and we're seeing that now, I think that, with the, you know, the video and the, and the murder of George Floyd, actually the public execution, I'm hearing from lots of people like, we knew it was bad, but we didn't realize it's gotten to this. And yet there's so many patterns as people color that we know exists. And clearly the darker your skin, the more difficult it is. But even with my sons who look more Latino uh, than, than, uh, than my husband who is white, you know, I had to teach them the things they need to do when, when faced with police or crowds of people, how to keep themselves safe so that I know their friends or white friends hadn't. But people don't know that. So now, now that we know, now that we know, this is, the, this is the call to action with our hearts expanding, with curiosity to listen and learn more, and then to be in collective positive action to make the changes so that way we can all be honored. You know, because I'm sure that was uh, I'm sure that was hard for Oprah to do that to her guests because she's quite the hostess. Right. But she knew that this was going to be a benefit. And I know that from the diversity inclusion work, I've done the separating circles and different things, always with love and intention of and and people just say, thank you. That was the most powerful thing for me to understand. I don't know if I would get it unless I actually got it somatically, not just as a thought but as it really at every level to get it, Uh, but being holding the container, always knowing as I'm sure she did, everyone was safe. Mm -hmm. No one was going to be hurt in that process. And um, so I think we're in that time now in a global way of being awakened. So I'm glad that, I'm sorry that I'm the first, but I'm so glad that, um, that you got to have me speak about Oprah and bring up that memory for you. Because we have to acknowledge the leaders of every direction, of every color, of every race, uh, of every gender, of every orientation. And I can go on and on with the list at this point because um, we have to honor the similarities and the differences and support each other. Yeah.
0: And I love the description, you know, the people from the yellow direction or the black direction. I think that, that it, it takes a lot of the heat. I mean, language becomes so loaded. There are so many, you know, uh, so much energy put into words and, you know, misdirections. Um, I think it's time for new descriptions. Mm. And, you know, we're all
1: just from a different direction. Well, That's we're it. from a different direction. But and the same planet. when you think of that hoop, if you, as a white person, if white people are gone, the hoop would be broken. But the coup would hold. So if we don't have the black people, the African-Americans and other black, the black direction would be gone. And so the thing that I think is misunderstood that hopefully is getting understood now is the whole notion of black lives matter. And I hear often people say, why don't they say black lives matter? Why don't they just say all lives matter? And I said, we just calm down. Listen, all lives matter. What does that mean? Well, that means all our lives and i said yes so for all lives to matter means we must embrace black lives matter and people all of a sudden go well i didn't think of it that way i said yeah because it's our brain and our safety mechanisms think oh i'm going to be gone if we're just talking about black people no what we're talking about is all the lives so all of this hoop of life and i thank you for honoring the hoop we need all of this. We need every one of us or the hoop will be broken. And I, I fear what will happen um, long-term in terms of having this wonderful experience being a human being for our children and our children's children and this, this children of other species too. Yeah. So of all your 10
0: books, if you had uh, somebody that you dearly love who's sitting out and on their path in life and looking for a really good book to guide them? Which of the 10 would you give them?
1: Oh, that is so hard. That is so hard. Uh, I love them all. They were, they were tough questions. She's been a tough host today, hostess here. I think I would say... Only because, again, in honoring the hoop, I would love people to learn more about the Red Direction. So read any and all of these books. But I probably would choose, it's either The Sacred Pipe or The Spirit of Crazy Horse. To ask an indigenous person to choose between Crazy Horse and Black Elk, that's like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I would choose one of them. But not putting it over one or the other, but rather in this circle of the 10 that what I am making up a story that people probably know least about the indigenous direction and so that's why I would bring forward that understanding and there's so much even the UN talks about now in their papers that's so essential to learn from indigenous leaders because we have a knowledge that we kept Over the millennium of our connection to the earth and what it means to be a whole human being. And we've actually preserved the most biodiverse places in the world. 85% of them indigenous people are on that. So we have things to learn. So in that spirit, I would say read the sacred pipe and then read Crazy Horse. (laughs) okay
0: yeah okay
1: um
0: so now um you gave us some keywords that describe you that are on your 10 best page messenger wisdom keeper bridge builder traveler dancer um i want one more from you something that really gives us an insight into who anita Is at her heart so maybe something a little bit um, quirky whimsical uh, something that perhaps your partner or your best friend knows about you and might you know divulge Um, what would it be
1: oh this is going to be really silly good okay in my early teen years in order to make money my boyfriend at that time he tried to teach me to be a pool shark. And I actually did make a little bit money because I was so like, yeah, sure, she can play. Uh, and I, you know, they've been drinking, I wasn't drinking. I could just play pool. So a part of me was one day, many years from now, uh, maybe in this office of mine, I'll put in a pool table. And I, I will uh, embarrass myself by how bad I am, but have some fun um uh, playing and then maybe invite my grandchildren I have no grandchildren but I have many grandchildren at the same time uh to play so that I could have fun being a pool shark <laughs> I think that's wonderful
0: and very very um inventive can I add that to your page <laughs> sure. or um it's a wannabe to bo- wannabe pool shark wannabe I- pool shark yes. yeah there you go I'm gonna Write that down right now and not forget it, because I love it when we get these little um, insights into people. You know, we we get to know the CV, we get to know what they do in the world, but I just want to know, who are you? And that little part of you that, you
1: know. There's a mischievous part, definitely.
0: Good. Okay, so now we have gone through everything on my list. I've got one more thing I want to tell people about, but before we do that, I want to open it up to anybody who's got any questions or anything to say to you. So Sharon, do we have anyone who wants to pose a question to Anita? We do. Um, Let's see. Frances Mary said, I absolutely love this conversation. Anita's joy, wisdom, passion, and positivity just pours from her heart. And I am so grateful to be here in her presence. I have been... I have been and am very connected to the Native American community, which started back in the early 90s when I was given a book during a dream which was called, Indian Givers. How the Indians of the Americans transformed the world by Jack Weatherford. I mentioned this to my first Native American friend who said, that's a real book. And we have it in our store. That experience started a deep spiritual journey that continues to bring out more of who I really am. Thank you for this Wisdom Keepers interview so very much. Love to all.
1: (laughs) Thank you. It's on my shelf. I looked at it and I used it in my classes uh, in the past. And what's wonderful in that book is he goes through different sections, leadership, community, and just gives enough um information so hopefully it makes you curious as it did mary francis to keep going and learning more we we need to feed our curiosity to fall in love with each other
0: yes yes we do um your book the four sacred gifts um just say a little bit about that and tell us what those four gifts are
1: yes the four sacred gifts come from a uh, prophecy it's called the Ego hoop prophecy uh, that came about back in the early 90s that said that we are spirit-told uh, Don Coyas, a Mohican elder uh, and founder of White Bison, that we were in a great winter time, and that the harmony has been lost because human beings have forgotten how to be in healthy relationship with themselves, with other human beings, with nature, with the earth itself. And that there was to be a call out and 27 elders from around the world came And as the vision, the dream, the prophecy came, they built a hoop and they hung 100 eagle feathers from it. And at the end of that weekend, when they were together singing prairie, there was no arguments, they had different languages, and they created this and they put four gifts in there for all humankind, from all the different hoops, the different directions, to use, to remember how to bring back harmony how to be in healthy relationship with yourself and others. So very quickly, the four gifts that were put in there that belong to all of us is the first, the power to forgive the unforgivable. The second, the power of unity. The third gift, the power of healing. And the fourth gift is the power of hope in action. Use these four gifts, forgiveness, unity, healing, and hope. And you will remember how to be in healthy relationship with yourself, other people, and the earth itself, and we can restore harmony. And those are the messages that I've been blessed, along with many others and Don Coyas and everyone, to go out and give these all over the world. And everywhere I've gone, Sandy, it's so wonderful. It doesn't matter where I am in the world, um, whether it's Kyrgyzstan, I was recently or last year, or Scotland, and other places, people would stop, you know, in Asia, stop. And they would write down the four gifts. And it's just, it's it's like the four agreements, isn't it? And as
0: you're speaking, I mean, unity is a word that I've heard again and again and again over the last week. People that I've been interviewing, people who are presenting seminars, it seems as though this is, this is the word for this time. And I think that those four gifts are so timely. I mean, you know, they really should be, if there's going to be like a rallying cry, you know, for what is going on right now, it should be those four gifts.
1: Yes. I think they are essential. And that's, I think whenever we hit true wisdom, um, the real truth, it rings through. And the thing that I will say from speaking and, all over the world, and of course now more doing it virtually, is that what is drawing us is unity and hope. Let your heart knows draw to what you want to draw. But let me also say from my experience in my own life and also working with leaders, is that we can have the biggest visions, we can have the greatest intentions and hope. And we must, and they will be bigger and even more possible to attain if we continue to do our own healing and our own forgiveness. So these are said separately, but they're intimately interconnected, and they are gifts for our time. Mm, They are indeed. So
0: there's an event starting on June the 20th. Would you like to share that with us and how we might
1: be able to participate? Yes, everyone's invited. It's World Unity Week, uh, Unity Earth, and dozens and dozens of probably it's hundreds now of other organizations are part of this. And it starts on June 20th and goes to the 27th. It'll be amazing speakers and things all talking about unity and hope and dealing with the real stuff and how do we, how do we move forward together? But on the 20th is something that I've been able to participate in gathering indigenous elders, healers, that we will be starting in Australia with the Aboriginal aunties and grandmothers, and moving westward in a 24-hour period sharing blessings ceremony all the way around the earth 24-hour period on solstice ending up in Hawaii uh, with the indigenous elders there. So, doesn't that make you smile? I'm just, you can yes. see it smiling. It's just we need these blessings and bringing these different traditions and the good medicine in such a way and sharing with everyone, so please, I think if you go to uh, worldunityweek.org or unity earth, I think worldunityweek.org. You'll be able to learn more about that and sign up and learn all the different workshops and things. It's to- all these volunteers are putting this together. And the, re- um, the response from the indigenous elders just today, I got from the chief, um, uh, Chuck, and I just lost his last name I'm from the Cherokee Nation, and he's yes, yes. And that's what's happening yes because the reality is these indigenous our indigenous elders have been in ceremony for all of us for all life and holding the hoop so it'll just be so needed at this time And i'm very 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 happy to share that with all of your viewers and listeners to please and and tell other people about it so is this all being documented is it being filmed yes so what's happening is well some ceremonies will not be filmed um and so the, the elders will say. but what is being pre-recorded is two and three minute blessings coming in the various languages uh in the various from all different traditions around the world but there may there's going to be some live things that we'll be able to shoot by zoom too so i don't know all the details of that thank goodness i'm not taking care of that part i just get the great honor of uh of working with um unity earth and phil lane jr and gathering on inviting these amazing elders to share their blessings for all of us.
0: Would you just give us the websites again?
1: Yes, Um, worldunityweek.org or unityearth.org. Okay, wow. Well,
0: this has been um, an absolutely delightful experience. You know, for me, um, creating the book club uh inviting people like you to share with us the books that were so meaningful you know it provides a wonderful kind of guidebook for others you know it's it's a list that will incite, incite others to want to you know be curious and learn more and that's a great gift i think to people who are on their spiritual path but even better than that is being able to speak with people like you about your journey and your life and really hear not just you know the words on a page which is impactful in its own right but to feel the energy behind that when we get to speak like this so um thank you so much for taking the time to join us today
1: yeah thank you it's a gift to go on this journey with you on this it really has enlivened things in me so thank you too and gratitude as well Thank you,
0: Anita. And if you would like to experience more of Dr. Anita Sanchez's work, you can visit her website at anita-sanchez.com and do check out for sacredgifts.com and read the book because I recall this book made such an impact on me when I read it probably what about 18 months ago, two years maybe, that I did something that I don't normally do. It's not that common for me to do it and said right I need to get you on another show straight away so that we can continue the conversation so I'm, I'm constantly finding ways to have conversations with you Anita <laughs> thank this you. won't be the last <laughs> good I'm glad I'm glad to know that okay thank you very much for joining us and thank you to everybody as well for spending the time with us today and we'll be back with more next week at the same time